Romans chapter 6, and we'll uh, start by looking at one verse in that chapter uh, to kick us off, and then we'll look at a few more verses in that chapter as well. We'll walk to a few more places in the Word of God tonight. And as you're turning to Romans chapter 6, I don't know, the Lord keeps putting this uh, starting thought uh, on my heart, and we, we seem to start here a lot uh, lately, uh, but I don't ever recall, or I don't recall ever seeing a day so sadly filled with the attitudes of depression, despair, and defeat. Joy to the world. The Lord has, you know, just this, I mean, everybody's depressed. Everybody feels defeated. Everybody's in despair. I mean, it, it touches you. It touches me. Let's be honest tonight. We all see it. We all deal with it. But it seems that everywhere you look, people are quitting. They throw up their hands in exasperation. They exclaim, that's it. I give up. It's not only happening in the godless world. That's happening in the hearts of believers too. Now, when it comes to quitting, to giving up, we often are quick to say that that's a negative thing and it certainly can be a negative thing. But I want us to consider some things and some ways where giving up is actually a positive thing. So here's the title for our message tonight, if you want to jot this down, The Right Way to Give Up. The right way to give up. Look with me at Romans uh, chapter number 6 and verse number 13. Romans chapter number 6 and verse number 13. The Bible says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Father, tonight I pray that you'll help us this evening. Thank you for the privilege that we have to gather together in this place. Thank you for these who've come out tonight. Uh, Lord, for the visitors we have tonight and uh, for our uh, regular folks that are here as well. We think of the ones that are unable to be with us, some watching by way of live stream. Lord, we pray for each and every one uh, that would hear the message that you've laid on our heart tonight. I pray there'd be a help to us, it'd be a challenge to us that it would stir us up to remembrance uh, of Your goodness and of, of Your grace. And Lord, You'd give us some things tonight that would help us in our Christian life. Certainly, we live in a, uh, a dark world and in dark times, and sin, uh, no doubt, has its grasp on everything it seems around us. But Lord, You're still God, and You're still good, and You're still mighty to save and to... Uh, to help us and to strengthen us each and every day. And I pray, God, that you'll help us tonight in this matter of giving up, this matter of surrender. Lord, I pray that, uh, uh, again, that you just uh, reveal to us in our hearts some areas where we need some help, we need some work, we need some strength. And, Lord, I pray that you just speak to each and every one of us tonight. Bless our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Scripture talks about this matter of giving up by using words such as yield, offer up, submit, and surrender. And in our text verse, we see the word yield twice. And both times we see that word, it's personal. It says yield ye, and it says yield yourselves. It's personal. 
Now, that first yield is negative, we would say. You know, when you think about do's and don'ts, well, that first one that we see is a negative. It's a don't. Don't give up to sin. And we'd say, well, wait a minute. That, that's a good thing. Right. But it's given in that negative connotation. Don't give up to sin. The second yield is positive. Do give up to God. Look back to Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? Let me stop for a moment. Shall we give up to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Romans chapter 6 and verse 15. What then? Shall we sin? Shall we give up to sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace. There it is again. God forbid. Can you see it? It's in both of those verses that we've just read. God does not want you, He does not want me to give up to sin, but to give sin up. Now, do we foolishly presume that God's grace was given to enable us to go on in sin? Now, if we'll be honest, all of us have, whether consciously or unconsciously, at times said to ourselves, yes, even if I do slip into this sin, God's grace will take care of it. And you just be honest tonight. There's time. You might not say that out loud, but you've given in to that. You've fallen off after sin. You say, well, it's not really that big of a deal. God's grace is sufficient. That's terrible. That's an awful mindset. God didn't give us grace for us to go out and live like the devil. Jesus didn't die on the cross of Calvary and shed His precious blood to save your sin-sick soul so that you could go right back to the hog pen. And me either. But all of us, we struggle with that. See, we still have that sinful flesh. We still have that corrupt sin nature that battles against our spirit. But think about this. How often we are willing to give up our walk with God to wander off after sin. Now, this is nothing new, but it should be the other way around. Instead of us wandering off after sin, we ought to be focused on our walk with the Lord. The grace of God is offered to us not to go on sinning, but to keep us from sin. All the way back in Second Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 8, Now be ye not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord and enter into His sanctuary, which He has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of His wrath may turn away from you. Now, I want you to notice the idea here. Because you're like, wait a minute, I'm here and I'm saved and I'm no longer, because of salvation, I'm not subject to the wrath of God. So, you know, we're not subject to the condemnation of God. And so we're like, whoo, you know, we're free. But, but, but take that verse again, Old Testament verse, but notice the idea. You cannot stubbornly hang on to your sin and expect to dwell in the sweet peace of God. Anybody have a mirror? (laughs) 
Look, dummy, would you just get it already? That was my mirror. How often we're stubborn. How often we're stiff-necked. How often, well, this doesn't apply to me or I'm the exception to the rule. And we want to stubbornly hang on to sin and somehow expect that we're just going to have all the sweet peace of God. This thought that we can bring anything we want into the church, into our lives, and God will bless it, and God will bless us, and that's foolish nonsense. Yet we're seeing it play out all over the world today. I, I'm telling you, it's a, you know, I, I, uh, I've told my kids, I said, I'll tell you, this is a terrible time. This would be a terrible time. This is what I tell them. And I'm sure that when some of you are older than me, I'm sorry, that's what your driver's license says. It's not hurtful, that's the truth. In love, some of you are older than me and, and you have said this same thing at some point in your life when you looked at people younger than you and said, boy, I'd hate to be a young person today. Oh, this is just a terrible world that we live in. You know, I was thinking about it. Just, just allow me this for a moment. I was thinking about this. You know, when I was uh, uh, younger, because some of you might still consider me that way, and thank you, I appreciate that. But when I was younger, and before I was married, and when I was, um, you know, seeking that one that um, would uh, be my mate in life, and interested in, you know, ladies, and... Uh, Trying to figure out the right way to say this here. Yeah, but she owes me for the other night. You weren't here. You weren't here for that one. So, but I was thinking about this. I didn't have to deal with then what folks have to deal with now. You say, what do I have to deal with now? Is that really? A woman? Do, do I have to say any more there? You, you all get that tonight? I mean, just the, the darkness, the wickedness that we see. You know, in this land, I'm like, my goodness. Well, wait a minute. Take that thought. Not everything that you see today that has the name church on it, is it really that, you know, if people, and I've talked to folks, uh, they're like, well, you know, I, I, I'm looking for a church, but I'm scared to look. Because you don't know what you're going to find when you walk in the doors. And I mean, that's, you know, somewhat of the benefit of, of live stream and stuff like that. You can uh, kind of get a preview on, you know, what the church is like and different things. I remember years ago, uh, when we lived in North Mississippi, um, there was a different issue there. Uh, than there is here. And it's a, it's an issue of demographics. And so in North Mississippi, when you'd see the word church, you needed a, you know, the, the information you needed. And I don't say this from a racial standpoint. It's just the way that it was. Am I the right color for this church? I, I mean, Honestly, that, that's the way it was. You have to understand when you are around that Memphis area, racism is still alive and well in that area and on both sides. Both sides. 
You know, and, and me, and I'll tell you, and, and you all know this, it doesn't matter, red, yellow, black, or white, they are precious in His sight. Whoever wants to come, let them come. I, you know, God shed His, uh, Jesus shed His blood to save sinners. And that's all of us. So we all need Jesus. So I, don't get me wrong tonight and say, well, that's it, that preacher just said right there that He's a rape. No! But there were some churches I knew that I wasn't going to be welcome in, watch this, because of the color of my skin. So there was a time, and my wife and I, we decided, you know, this isn't the church that we need to be at, and the Lord was moving us from that, and we're like, well, we've got to find another church. So what we started doing is the invitation. Now, this is bad. Don't get the, don't. And I'll know what you're doing if you do this. <laughs> when it was heads bowed, eyes closed, you know, the end of the message, we'd jump up and leave so we could run across town and see the people coming out of the other church. So we could determine, will we try that one, you know, or not. I'm, t- I'm watching. <laughs> Put a camera right out here on the driveway, leaving. <laughs> Picking on you tonight. But we did it because we, we didn't know. We, we wanted to know, you know, what we were going to do. And, and you say, well, preacher, that's got No, no, no. There are things going on. Today, you know, you might go to a church and think you're going to church and walk in and you're in the nightclub. Yeah. You, you might walk into a church and a rock concert bust out. Yeah. You might walk in and, well, bless God, there may be somebody of the non-qualified place to stand behind a pulpit and pray. You don't know necessarily what you're going to get. But yet there are people that want to bring everything into the church and say it's all fine. God will bless everything. And God said, no, no, no. I have a way to do things. I have a way that I want things done. It needs to be done decently and in order. It needs to line up with the Word of God. And if it's not that, you can't expect God to bless it. I don't care if they have a huge crowd. That doesn't mean God is blessing it. Now that I got that off my chest... This thought that we can bring anything we want into our lives, into our church, and God will bless it, and God is like forced now to bless us for it. No, no, no. That's nonsense. In fact, and this is why I said all of that. I wanted to prime you up for what I'm about to tell you here. There's a prominent woman on Twitter, or X. I, I still call it Twitter. I'm old school. I like the little bird And besides, when it was Twitter, you made a tweet. When it's X, I don't know what you do. So it's still Twitter for me. But there's this woman, she's on Twitter. I won't give you her name, um, but she has quite the large following. She claims to be a Christian. And the whole time, she, while claiming to be a Christian, she says that she doesn't need Christ. Not like I said, I needed to prepare you for this. So I want to read you. There are three posts that I pulled that I, I want to read to you. Here's the first one. I know this is hard for many Christians. I'm quoting now. I know this is hard for many Christians, but people don't need Jesus. You may need Jesus. That's okay. That doesn't mean everyone else does. What in the world? And yet you say that you're following the Lord. But everybody doesn't need Christ? 
Jesus said, if you believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. Jesus said that He's the way, He's the truth, He's the life. And no man comes to the Father except through Him. It's Jesus only. Another one. I don't need Jesus. I follow the Christ. (laughs) There's a phrase that I want to say and... I, I don't know. This is, this is just like dumb on another level. <laughs> That's a nice way to say it. I don't need Jesus. I follow Christ. But here's the thing, and, and I mean, I'm laughing about this, but my heart breaks. You realize there are a lot of people that are buying into this lie. Wait a minute. And even if there aren't a lot of people, she is. And she'll go to hell just as quick as anything. For this kind of trash. Expecting that... And you'll, you'll see why here in just a moment. I don't need Jesus. I follow the Christ. But I don't need this. Divinity has met me outside Christianity many times. Can I tell you? If you're not meeting with the Holy Spirit of God, you're, reading, you're meeting with the wrong spirit. Period. That's why the Bible tells us to try the spirits. See what sort they are. Here's the third one. If you believe in God... Now, I want you to hear this. Because this one here... Those first two were way off in the weeds. But this one here is a little more smooth. If you believe in God... Well, yeah, of course I do. It's worth reflecting on whether your God aligns closely with your own identities. Did you notice... You see the shift? It's not about God. It's all about me. And I'm going to make a God in my own image. See, we have a a thing going on in this day when we come across that phrase that they made gods in their own image that, oh, somebody's out there carving a little statue that they're going to put in their yard. No, no, no. Anytime you take the Bible and you twist it to what you want, you've just made God in your image. It's terrible. You have to be careful with that stuff. Jesus said, and I already said it, but in John 8, 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. I'm going to help you tonight, and you know this tonight, but it doesn't matter, man, woman, boy, girl, red, yellow, black, white, God wants us to be saved and conformed to Christ. Not chasing some false god that conforms to us. Yet many professing Christians are listening to the lies and being led off into false teaching because they'd rather hang on to their sin instead of clinging to the Savior. I can tell you tonight, there's a technology is a wonderful thing and it's an awful thing all at the same time. I can find things that I need on YouTube. I need to, you know fix uh, something that's wrong with my car and I don't know how to do it. Well, I don't have to go pay the dealer. I just look it up on YouTube. Now, you know, somebody had the wherewithal to say, well, I'm probably not going to be the only one to deal with this. And he videotaped it and puts it on YouTube. I'm like, great. You know, that's helped me. And there's plumbing problems, wiring problems, all sorts of different things. Boy, YouTube is great. 
But if you're one of those tonight that doesn't want to go to the Word of God, or when you do, it mm, kind of uh, mm, it's sharp, it's prickly, and you're like, no, I'm looking for something else. I promise you, you can go on YouTube and find exactly what you want. It doesn't mean it's right, even if it claims the name of Christ. Romans 6.13 says they would rather yield themselves to sin and live unrighteously than yield themselves to God and live righteously. What did Titus say in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12? For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Here's a question. Why are we not seeing revival in our day? Boy, it's real quick to point the finger that way and say it's, it's the lost world out there. That's why we're not seeing revival. But I'm here to tell you tonight simply because we're, not, we're choosing to give up the wrong things. What are we seeing as a result? Well, the Bible tells us what we expect to see when this happens. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. It says in the latter times. We're there. We're there. We're watching it happen just one right after the other. Well, I'm not a Christian anymore. I've walked away from the faith. But but keep listening to me. And all they're doing is drawing a crowd that are giving heed to doctrines of devils. Second Timothy chapter three verses one through five must have been important because Paul writes to Timothy about it in both of his letters. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, and that gives you a long list. And then it says, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. What does that mean? Looks like church. Says it's church. Got all the elements that living, you know, for the Lord would have. But denying the power thereof. I'm here to tell you tonight, if it was not for the Holy Spirit of God, I'd need to go do something else. The only way, the only way that you and I are going to live this Christian life the right way is in the power of God. You can play the game all your life. You can fake it. You'll never make it. You've got to have the Holy Spirit of God in your life as I do as well. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 3 and 4, for the time will come when they shall not or when they will not endure sound doctrine. Again, here we are. But after their own lust. Why won't they endure sound doctrine? Lust. Their own lust. Shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. That means if the Bible says that in 2023, on December the 4th, because it's already nighttime, that the sky will be blue, if the Bible said that, that there's those out there in this world that say, nope, that ain't right. 
look right at a blue sky and say, that's not right. Why? Because they've turned their ears from the truth. Now get it. I, I get it tonight. This matter of giving up the right way is a struggle. And don't misunderstand me tonight. When we think about giving up the right way, oftentimes we'll say this. We want to, but we can't. Or we'll say we, we've tried to, and we fail. And at times it feels as if we're stuck on an endless loop and can't find victory. But Paul knew about this too. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 19, he says, For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. And in verse 25, he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But he didn't give up trying. He didn't give up his walk with God. Why? Because God never gave up on Paul. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 25, it says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who's going to deliver you and me from the body of this death. Consider what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. See, when you get saved, friend, Christ breaks the chains of sin's bondage. So why not just give up the sin rather than trying to go back and pick those old chains back up? 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. Notice the Apostle John did not say sin less. He said sin not. Now, now, now hang on. This side of eternity, you and I will constantly struggle with this sinful flesh. We will. But that, that, don't cop out on it. There's hope and there's help. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, As ye there have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. You understand tonight, you can walk with the Lord one step at a time, trusting Him to guide your entire journey. The more that you and I yield to Christ, the more we'll give up sin. But you'll only do this if you give up to Christ, if you yield to Him, if you truly surrender. Uh Uh-oh, there's that word, surrender. And just like giving up, most people uh, today view surrender as a bad thing. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 8. Numbers chapter 8. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers chapter 8. I want to show you what godly surrender looks like. Numbers chapter 8. Numbers chapter 8. Look at this matter of surrender. Numbers chapter 8. Verse 5. Numbers chapter 8 and verse 5. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them, and thus shalt thou do unto them To cleanse them. Now I want you to notice something from those verses. I know we do not live in the Old Testament. We do not live now under the law. Jesus completely fulfilled the law. We now live in this age of grace. We live in the New Testament. I understand that. 
But you understand that all of Scripture was given for our learning. It was given for an example. And if you go through the Old Testament, you cannot read through the Old Testament and strip out the references of Christ and have any Old Testament left. Everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them, and thus shalt thou do unto them to cleanse them. And the thus, God goes on and tells Moses, here's what you need to do. But here's what I want you to see from this. God initiated the call, and God gave the instructions for the cleansing. Then God gives the commission. Numbers chapter 8, verse 21. Verse 21, And the Levites were purified, and they washed their clothes, and Aaron offered them as an offering. What did he do? He gave it up. He gave it back. To who? To God. Do you see that? That's what an offering is. I'm giving back something. Aaron offered them as an offering before the Lord, and Aaron made an atonement for them to cleanse them. And after that went the Levites in to do their service. Now I want you to notice this. This is vitally important. They did not serve in the tabernacle until the offering, the yielding, the surrendering had been done. Until they had been cleansed and offered to the Lord, there was no service. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Because now I know, now I know the question that is burning in your mind. What in the world does that have to do with us? We're not Levites. I want you to see the pattern that God established all through Scripture. Luke chapter, Luke chapter number 2. What does this have to do with us? Matthew, Mark, Luke. That one, that's in the New Testament. Just trying to help you tonight. Luke chapter 2. If you didn't pick up your Bible since the message this morning, you only have to turn one page. We're in Luke chapter 1 this morning. But Luke chapter 2. What does this have to do with us? Look at verse 21. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. It goes on, it says, And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses... What's that talking about? Cleansing. When the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem, watch, to present him... To the Lord. In Numbers, we saw the word offer. Here in Luke, we see the word present. Even the Son of God Himself did not enter upon His earthly ministry until He had been presented to the Father. Now turn to Romans chapter 12. You knew that's where we were going, didn't you? Romans chapter 12. Here's where it really gets good. I know it's all good, but this is where it really gets good because this is where it personally 100% relates to you and to me. It all does, but this is specific. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Helping you tonight. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. You say, why do you do that, preacher? Because I'm just filling up the space while you all are turning pages. That's all. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech ye therefore, brethren. That's an important word. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is addressed to Christians, not the unsaved. This is addressed to those who have received the mercy of God. Stop. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ, if you're here tonight and your eternity is not settled, if you're here tonight and you don't know if you're saved or not, friend, the mercy of God is available for you if you'll just come and ask Him. Realize you're a sinner in need of a Savior. The blood of Christ will cleanse you from your sin as well. But here, as Paul writes to the brethren, those who have received the mercy of God, he says, present yourselves willingly. You notice it's a living sacrifice. You know what that means? You think of all those sacrifices in the Old Testament. Oh, they'd shed the blood and then they'd take that dead animal or whatever it was and they'd put it on the altar. Well, wait a minute. Jesus already shed His precious blood for you and for me. That, that payment has been paid in full. That work is done. And now, because of Christ and because of what He's done for you and for me, those of us who are saved, if you're not saved, you need to be saved. Before it's too late, and friends, as I look around the world, it's coming soon. Living sacrifice. That means that I'm going to have to say, okay, God, whatever you want, here I am. And I'm not getting off the altar. Now, I'm not talking about the steps down here. You don't have to sit here for the rest of your life. But that place of offering your all to God. That giving up to God. That's the right way to give up. This is surrender. See, the Levites had to be offered to God before going on with their earthly service after being cleansed. The infant Jesus was presented to God even though He had been with God from all eternity. Think about that one for a minute before He entered upon His earthly service, but see the truth. You and I will not and cannot render reasonable service to the Lord until we have presented, offered, surrendered our bodies as living sacrifices. You want to see the power of God in your life? Romans chapter number 12 and verse 1. You better take your hands off of everything as you give it to the Lord. You you wonder, you wonder why you're not seeing great things in your life from the Lord, why it seems that you can't understand the Word of God when you read it, why it seems that your prayers aren't getting answered or mm, making any difference. Friend, it's because you've not given up to God. 
Well, we'll just live how we want, preacher. We'll just follow our sin, preacher. We'll just live off in wickedness, preacher. And it'll be alright. God will still bless us. Hey, friend, God has mercy. And God is long-suffering. But don't you dare presume to believe that God now is going to show up and work mightily in your life if you've not given your all to Him. Wait a minute. He gave His all for you. You can sit there and look at me cross-eyed tonight. You can shut me off and say, that's not for me. But friend, you will stand before God and give an account for why you took His grace and mercy and squandered it. You say, why is it so important? Because I have wasted years in my life that I wish I could have back so I could give what I'm supposed to give to God back then. With the time that God will let me have, Until the day He calls me home, I want my every single bit all on that altar as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Not so that He'll give me a standing ovation, but so He'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Reasonable service. It's reasonable. It makes sense. It's impossible for us to serve and worship God with the reasonable service which He asks unless we first yielded our bodies. That means offering to Him, presenting to Him, surrendering to Him all that we are and all that we have. Some of you are familiar with C.I. Schofield. He made this statement after he surrendered to the Lord. He said, surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ is just making a present of ourselves to give to God. Wrap it up, neat little bow. Here it is. Use it as you see fit. No strings attached. You either do it. Hear it tonight. You either do it or you don't. There's no in-between. You say, why is this so important? Why such an emphasis on yielding the body? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God? Wait, it doesn't stop there. And ye are not your own. If you're truly seeking revival... If you honestly want the Lord to guide you and grow you and use you in His great work. And friends, that's what I want for each and every one of us. Is that right there? You're going to have to give up the right way. I'm going to have to give up the right way. Can I tell you tonight? It's not a one-time decision. It's an all-the-time decision. A living sacrifice. going to have to present yourself, surrender it all to Him, all of you. Now, hang on. I told you it's going to get good. That means you're going to have to give Him all of you. That means you're going to have to give Him all of your best. Wait a minute. That means you get to give Him all of your worst. All of you. All means all. 
God knows who you are. He knows where you're at. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows the best about you. He knows the worst about you. And He says, bring it all. Bring it all. And we don't have time tonight, but there's an interesting thought. If you go back and study the life of Abraham, Abraham had a couple of sons. The first son he did Abraham's way. That was Ishmael. And he got, you know, impatient and took matters into his own hands and did something he shouldn't have done instead of trusting the Lord. And ta-da, here's Ishmael. Yeah, that's how it works. That's in the Bible. Ta-da. It says it just like that. (laughs) But then, Abraham got right with God and he waited on God. And God showed up and showed out in a miraculous way. I'm looking at some of you tonight going, how would you like to get the news? Nine months. And your life's about to change. <laughs> some of you here tonight go, no, 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 preacher. I'm past all of that. Nothing's impossible with God. So there's Ishmael and there's Isaac. Ishmael, you could almost say, was... Abraham's worst. It was the worst decision Abraham could have made. Ishmael was born as a result. and Then you could say that Isaac was born as a result of Abraham's best. God has a way of taking the worst If you'll give it to Him, He'll take it out of your life and you'll never see it again. You'll never see it again. You go through and read the Old Testament. You'll never see it again. He also has a way of when you offer Him your best. See, we often say, well, I'm not going to give my best to God because... Somehow he's a big meanie and he's going to keep it from me. What did God do? God gave Abraham some instructions. He said, Isaac, that son that you love, take him up on that hill and you offer him to me. And Abraham said, you know what? I messed up not trusting God before. I don't know how all this is going to work out, but it's going to work out. And I love what he says to his servants at the base of the mountain. You all wait here. Me and the lad will return again. I want you to know, Isaac wasn't 10, 11, 12 when they went up that hill. In fact... I would say he's just about the same age as Christ was when he walked up that hill called Calvary. Same hill. There's an interesting statement in Scripture. Isaac looks around and he goes, Hey, we got wood. We got the knife. We got the rope. We got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? 
What, what, what are we going to put on the altar? What did Abraham say? God will provide, wait, himself a lamb. Preacher, you don't understand. I can't give the best to God. I worked for this my whole life. I've waited for this my whole life. I can't take my hands off that. God's going to steal it from me. Hey, God can take your worst and make it where you never see it again. But He can take your best and make it the best it's ever been. What makes the difference? Your willingness to give up. Your willingness to give up the right way. God can take our best and give it back to us sanctified and cleansed and ready to be used as it would never have been possible without our willingness to surrender it. I want you to think about this for a minute. We're done tonight. Do you think that that event had an effect when, when Abraham took Isaac up top of that mountain, do you think that that event had a profound effect on Abraham's life? Wait a minute. What about Isaac's? Do you think Isaac learned really quick God is trustworthy? God is compassionate. God is merciful. God comes through right on time. You know what that means? You just lay there. You know, I don't read in the Bible. I do not read in my Bible that Abraham had to, you know, give Isaac some sort of sleeping pill to put him, to bind him and put him on that altar. I don't read that Abraham had to wrestle Isaac and beat him physically. You realize Abraham was old. Isaac was a young man. So, well, then how did Isaac get on that altar? And I'm convinced that Isaac looked at Abraham and said, Dad, if God told you, tie me up. Put me on the altar. If God told you to do it, do it. You say, Preacher, I don't like to think that way. Is your all on the altar. God is a trustworthy God. God is a God that's worthy. God is a God that always works for the good, who always does the right thing, whose way is always perfect. You certainly can trust Him. Think with me now how often we're ready to surrender the worst for God to eliminate the bad out of our life, yet we refuse to give Him our best that He could take and mold and make even better. Oftentimes we find we're proud of our best and we want to hold that back. I'm telling you that's no good. we got to surrender it all. My challenge for us tonight is God help us to willingly surrender our worst and our best. That you and I would truly present our bodies that living sacrifice so that God can do the work that only He can do. I gave you a verse this morning. I'm going to give it to you again tonight because God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think 
according to the power that worketh in us. We find that in Ephesians 3 and verse 20. But the only way He'll do it is if we're willing to give it to Him. What about it tonight? My question for you, will you give up the right way? Our heads are bowed this evening.